naturally things are going to move towards virtual reality or augmented reality. Well, maybe and maybe not. That takes a lot of, see, it takes a lot for consumers to adopt an idea. So I want you to think about this for a minute. You might think it would be the best thing in the world to have a 3D printer and, you know, a consumable 3D printer sitting on your desk and you go, damn, I need a pair of glasses. And you download a blueprint off the internet for free. It's open source. And then you have the materials in your room or you order them and they get, you know, delivered by via drone to you from Amazon or whatever's leading the way at the time. And it gets dropped to you and then bang, you can print yourself a pair of glasses. Now that is not fantasy. There have been several Kickstarter and crowdfunded campaigns to try to get this to happen. Now, the idea might be great, but why doesn't it land? Boom! What's going on, everyone? It's Vaughn here, and welcome back. Today, I want to talk about spotting trends and being ahead of the curve, and I'm not talking about the pandemic. Nobody wants to talk about that anymore. Let's talk about where the tiny horizon lies that if you can find it, boom, opens up an entire universe. Now, what am I talking about? I'm going to use a story of mine about streaming that I think is really relative and important. You might say, oh, streaming. Yeah, everybody does that now. But pay up and pay attention to this because in the dancing world, the ballroom dancing world I come from as a professional ballroom dancer, I've spent 20 years training, competing around the world in the top grade in the top division. And I loved it. It's a passion. I still teach. I still dance. I love doing it as well as building businesses, coaching, building brands online, investing, and looking for opportunities, right? So we're talking about looking for opportunities. And in 2011, I partnered one of the largest dance companies in the world. Now, I'll talk about the origin story of that in another episode because it represents a different type of idea. But basically, this partnership, we we're going to end up creating content online. Shock horror. Now, but you have to remember, in 2011, no one was doing this. YouTube was still in its infancy. Facebook was had been around for a few years. YouTube's obviously been around for a few years by then, but it wasn't mass adopted. Like it's not like your parents were watching YouTube back then. All right. So you have to get your head in that space. But you know, the millennials were using it, or the young people were using it for sure. And it was really rough. It was still a very rough website. Things went viral, but it was much easier to get attention. And I was like, hmm, there might be something to this gig. So I started posting videos on how to do things online. I started to get a bit of traction from that. But with this company, I was like, you guys are in a massive position. You've been around for decades, what we could do. And I could see that learning online was obviously going to be something people are going to do. Do you know how hard of a sell that was at the time? Like they didn't even believe. In fact, <laughs> the thing I built ended up getting not the business arrangement we had worked in a different manner from what I built because we tried to bring on board professionals and it fell apart. So I will tell that origin story if you want to in another episode and how that completely bombed in one aspect. But what was birthed from that was streaming. And the streaming idea came around in sort of 2015 and, and then around in 2017 with two different brands, right? So what occurred was streaming is going to be something amazing streaming events on the internet for dancing was not being done. It was pioneering. So gaming always leads the front. If you want to look at like where things are going, check out what gamers are doing. Have a look at them. They're like what are referred to as early adopters. Early adopters jump on board things before anybody else does. They've done it since arcade games, the first Ataris, Nintendos, the early Apple nuts, right? So essentially they're the people that 
are the ones that are most interested in engineering, tech, and science, and where is that going to take the world, and what's that going to do? And obviously, that's going a lot more mainstream, but still, the early adopters are the people that you really want to see where are things going. Because in some aspects, it's pretty easy to think, well, you know, naturally, things are going to move towards virtual reality or augmented reality. Well, maybe and maybe not. That takes a lot of, see, it takes a lot for consumers to adopt an idea. So I want you to think about this for a minute. You might think it would be the best thing in the world to have a 3D printer and, you know, a consumable 3D printer sitting on your desk and you go, damn, I need a pair of glasses. And you download a blueprint off the internet for free. It's open source. And then you have the materials in your room or you order them and they get, you know, delivered by via drone to you from Amazon or whatever's leading the way at the time. And it gets dropped to you and then bang, you can print yourself a pair of glasses. Now that is not fantasy. There have been several Kickstarter and crowdfunded campaigns to try to get this to happen. Now the idea might be great, but why doesn't it land? And here is the biggest issue for all of us as content creators and entrepreneurs creating businesses. You might also be too early. You also have to consider in the fact that you have to change people's behaviors and habits. Do you know how did they used to do on a mass scale? So getting people to a point where they just use a phone, which is now a computer, a camera, a video uh, or a camera and a video editor. It is a cinema camera, if you want, like you can do everything. It's a business in itself. Like what you can do off a phone, build a website, you do everything off your phone to get people to that level took decades of innovation. And then eventually it got mass adoption, but who did it start with the early adopters? So it would pay you mind to look in your space at those types of people to see where can things go differently and also to look outside of your sphere and go, well, how could this apply to me? So looking at gaming and then looking at dancing, I was like, well, we can marry those two together and start streaming it. Turns out it was really early. And do you know, even finding the gear, oh my God, do you know how hard it was? I, I called up quote unquote tech experts. I went into stores all over my city and said, I'm trying to stream through a high definition mirrorless camera. Can you help me? They're like, uh, no, because what has to happen, you see, is it's not as straightforward as just whacking your phone up and then hitting streaming. There were several pieces of technology and hardware that I had to integrate. And then I had to find software that would allow me to do it. So many headaches to just be able to put lessons on the internet, right? And so doing all of this cost a lot of money. In fact, I think there was, a, well, let's just say it was about, from the company's point of view that were, that, you know, I was helping with understanding what this, what it was looking like and what they initiated. It was a six figure investment to begin with using BBC, you know, the British Broadcasting Corporation level filmographers to live stream. So it was pretty intense stuff and it didn't really get a lot of traction because it was very hard to get people to pay for that because the internet is built upon the premise of free information, Right. And so the idea is you do it as a give back, not as a take. And if you don't have that mentality as a business, look, this is why things don't work out in partnerships half the time, because it's like, where's my money? I'm not getting a return. You may not get a return because you need something called a funnel. You need a back end, which is what I've been talking a little bit about with creating email lists and back end sales sequences. But that's a whole, that's a, that's a, that is the plumbing of a city. So we've talked about the assets of having, you know, making your own land grab and then building a house on it and putting in the right foundation, 
plumbing, decorating, and then having what organic, you know, so that's your email, that's your website, that's your entire infrastructure for automation and building a brand. And then you've got your organic, you know, the thing you're feeding and living off that land with, which is uh, naturally occurring traffic coming to visit your home. Well, if you want to look at the uh, streaming side of things and getting mass adoption and getting people to actually have a look at your content and to 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 sort of get into that ship early, you know, that that's like the plumbing of a city. Like what it requires to get that going and to keep it going is can be quite intricate. Now, it's obviously changed since the early you know 2020s. Here's the thing about being early, right? Here's the thing. You have to be willing to play the long game and most people won't. You have to be willing to play the long game. Now, as early as that, I mean, it's only six years ago. It was 2021 right now. Six years ago, though, the adoption of technology was still coming, right? It it still is coming, okay? So now most people use the internet worldwide, but there's still people not online. Most people have a smartphone of some sort, but most people didn't 10 years ago. Streaming is so normal now for most people because of COVID hitting and locking people down and workplaces had to forcibly shift. If we had to organically wait for people to recognize the power of working from home, from using video conferencing, from being able to stream what you're doing live, guess what would have happened? We wouldn't be where we are with half of this technology because it forces developers and software creators to uh, fill the demand that's in the market. You see, so rather than getting people to, you know, be educated on why they should stream, people are like, oh God, I need to stream. Where is it available? And if everyone's doing it, everyone needs it at the same time. Zoom was positioned perfectly to take advantage of that. And they went, their stock went through the roof. But for years, people would have thought, oh, why would you bother? You're just competing with Skype and Skype has the market share. And interestingly enough, I was selling $10,000 coaching programs to people I'd never met had one hour coaching sessions, and then they were buying a $10,000 pro- program off me. And I was using Skype to do it from the attic in London. This is back in 2010, 2011 as well. So, you know, these services have been around for a long time, but the utilization of them to make a profit, the utilization of them to make to make a difference for yourself and an ease of time and leverage, that I think is becoming very clear. So what is occurring now is streaming is normal, for example, right? So definitely in gaming, it's just normal, normal event. But in other areas, it isn't, you know, like, so in the real estate markets, just catching on to the idea of, oh my God, live auctions, that come on, like you could have been doing that for 10 years, but would have vendors who were the people selling a home, would they have adopted that? Mm. Agents, I know wouldn't because half of them don't even want to use some sort of pipeline or follow-up system to be able to make money and like automate their business. They just rely on writing names down and hopefully following them up. Like it's really hard to get people to adopt and change behavior. So why does this matter? Because if you're a visioneer and you're seeing things that others don't and you're early, you have to play the long game. You've got to be willing to build the foundations and the pipeline into your land. You have to be willing to continually weed it out, whack the eel down there, get the crap out of the pipe and keep building content and education around what you're doing and why you're doing it. Now, here's the thing. If everyone else starts adopting and doing that, you have to see the next move before everybody else. So in 2010, online courses were the way to go. I recognize that. I saw that Today, very obvious. It's unlikely you haven't done something online in in the form of a course. All right. So if that's the case, having a course is sort of normal. All right. It doesn't mean it's a bad thing. It just means you've got noise in the market. 
So you should have it, but also what else are you doing? Okay, so you might say an app. Well, apps are saturated, but they weren't a while ago, but you should still you know, have an app. That's awesome. It's not like you can't do things with an app. It's all about how does it help people, right? Okay, so if streaming, of course, back then, and then streaming sort of mid 2015, 2016, in the dancing market, it was already happening elsewhere, but in the dancing market, woo, new idea, new revelations. Like maybe people can learn online. Maybe people can watch dance sport competitions live and tune in. But the business model wasn't around being able to charge for that because it was so new. It's like, well, what's the value? And how do you monetize that? So you had to give it away for free for a long time. But that that was early. And then as you so being positioned five years ahead of COVID, not a bad thing because then boom, but the opposite effect ended up happening. See, being early in a spot that was being, the market was being unfilled, right? So, or I should say unfilled is not really the right word. They were being underserved. So people wanted something. They didn't know they wanted it. They started to get it and go, wow, this is really cool. So you can get a lot more people watching you. But now when something like COVID happens, it actually became harder because everybody else started doing it at lower quality, right? So it's not like, People needed to spend six figures to get their streaming going and to get it out there for a year. They could just whack their smartphone because technology is advanced and they could start broadcasting their own high definition stream straight off their phone in their room. And good, bad or indifferent on how that was, everybody started doing that because they were forced to shut down and lock down worldwide. Now, you could never have factored that in your business model, right? You can't really convince me you factored a pandemic in your business model when if that happens, I'm just going to go online. It really freaked people out. And then they started thinking, oh, how do I go online? So now the reality is you're learning, I'm learning, everybody's doing some form version of extending to online for revenue sources, whether it's e-commerce, whether it's a course, whether it's selling your services electronically, whether it's uh, making sales through emails or advertising, there's some way you are getting attention online. That's just the bottom line. And if you're not, you are so behind the eight ball, it's crazy. But that doesn't mean the attention's gone. You just got to think where next. And this is where you got to really be a bit creative. And I can't tell you, this is more about, this This episode's more about the sort of thinking. You, you, once you start to see a mass adoption of, of something, you need to look for the next space to play in. And so, for example, Facebook is obvious, right? Right? Like if, if, if you go to a marketing event and they're like, their whole thing is you need to be on Facebook. They're saying it for a good reason, but it's like, no shit. Of course you need to be on Facebook, but everybody's on there. So you've got a different game to play now. It's, it's no good just having a business page. You see, I remember the days, because it makes me sound so old. I'm not even that old, but like, I remember the days when you had a Facebook page, it would grow organically. My very first Facebook live I ever did, by the way, I was panicking when I did this. My first one I did, I got 560,000 people in front of that many people in like an hour. I was petrified. It was so many people. I was like, that's crazy. The next one I did, 600,000. And do you know why? Because Facebook were encouraging anyone on there who were going to use live, they will boost for you to encourage you. Do you see how smart that is? This is the game that's being played, by the way. And now if you go live, sure, they'll boost you a little bit but nowhere to near to that extent. Do you know why? Because everybody else is going live. And because everybody else is going live, you're getting drowned out. So even if you've got the talent and you're actually good and you have a good message, it's actually irrelevant because the, in a way, because the algorithm is trying to decipher who rises to the top. And so you need different tactics on top of it. So 
Early adoption is good, but then what? You've got to be able to adjust and take that video and do something with it. Take that audio and do something with it. Find another platform to put the same content before just at that point where it's not like it's not being used, but it's just, you know, building in momentum. And they're always coming, guys. So Facebook's a dominant source. Google's a dominant source. Use them, right? Learn them, master them. But understand this strategy, their philosophy, the thinking behind it. It's you take a piece of content and you use it across multiple mediums. That's an important marketing strategy. But let's look at an idea strategy. Okay, so if everyone's doing courses, cool. So what do you do with your course now that separates you? How do you make it a little different? How do you gamify it? What do you do to make it interesting so people finish it? If you've got an app, okay, if everyone in your community or your uh, niche or your market has an app, all right, how do you now separate? Because it takes a, an anomaly to go from, nothing into the top 10 in a healthcare industry, okay? So that that requires something very special to offer or a very unique way to position yourself, which is the art of marketing really and business. So what do you do? How do you serve to your people better? I know it might sound complicated, but the point the point I'm trying to make is you gotta look for these opportunities. And here's, here's a couple of tips I can give you. When I started, reali- I realized YouTube was making headway for me about, six years after I started publishing videos on there. And remember, I wasn't consistent in the beginning. So please don't think I was publishing every week. I was so, I think, mixed with my feelings of anxiety and doubt and busyness of setting up a business and a life and my competitive dance career, which basically took six days a week of training, plus running a full-time business on top of that. I didn't have a lot of time to make a lot of content. But, I mean, it's a reasonable excuse. It's not really a valid one, but uh, it's, you know, it is one there. And so, uh, so I had the videos going. I made a couple of series back in 2011, I believe it was. And about 2016, people started coming to me and saying, I saw your video. Now, those videos had been online for years and no one ever said that. And do you know who started saying it? This is important. Listen to this. It was people who are over 50, 60 years old. Now, why is this important? Because who, what age do, um, what age does early adoption occur in a market? Typically, it's a younger generation. So if you were to look at, and it's not always the case, okay, I'm not covering every market here. I'm just talking about technology as an example. So who are the first people to buy computers, right? Or the latest iPhone, or if you looked at the, um, the adoption of a social media, it's going to be teenagers. And if it gets the grap there, because they all talk and they all want to chat and chat to each other. So that's just the new way of doing it. And it grows. The next group is what that 20 to 35 year old range. And it sort of goes up from there. Facebook is a classic. When I was on Facebook in like 2008, that was fairly early, but it already been around. I think, I can't remember, 2005, six, it sort of came out. And like hardly anyone was on. I didn't even want to be on it. And I was like, oh, I don't want to sign up for one of those websites. And MySpace was pumping at the time. And so the point was, I saw that occurring. I joined. My parents went on it though, right? When did they get on it? Well, like 10 years later in 2018 but so did like your parents and everyone else's so what was interesting there if your grandparents go on it you need to look for something else but it doesn't mean you move off what you're doing you have to realize now you've got more audience you can talk to but you also have more noise because every other marketer realizes this you look if you have two billion people on a platform marketers are going to compete for attention so you need to find that next space to occupy and sort of make your own like niche within that so whatever your brand is, you got a positioning of that brand, a position of what you're about and a mission about what you do and a vision for that. Then you take that to a space and you have to pitch it in that area 
in the way that suits, that's native to that platform and generally across multiple platforms. So you Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Snapchat, um, you know, Mixer, Stitcher, SoundCloud, you know, podcast left, right and center through all of those different mediums, you know. So you've, you've got all these different avenues that, but, but one piece of content can actually serve all of that. All right. And that's, again, another story for another time. So don't get overwhelmed by thinking you have to create all different things for all different platforms. You can do it strategically. The point is to get attention in this space. You have to think like this. You've got to look for that next little loophole. You know, I'll give a couple other little ideas that I had that were early in the piece. So before 2010, when I moved to London to pursue my uh, got my career as a professional dancer, it was a long-held dream of mine in the early 2000s to do this. So between 2003 and 2010, I was in the real estate business as a PA, but I was getting paid full-time commission sales and making good money doing that, working as I needed to fund my dancing. Now, I was using an Excel spreadsheet because I realized if I keep emails from people, Hmm, this could be a good way of reaching out to people without having to do a lot. I had a list of probably 200 people that I'd send a monthly market update. No one was doing this in the 2000s that I could, not in my city anyway. I know there was other people, I'm not the only person doing this, but because email marketing came out in around 97, that's sort of how, you know, that's there. So within not even 10 years, I was in this space of using emails to make sales. And believe me, it worked. All I did was send out a property market update. Now, people definitely had newsletters online, but I was making it interesting and I was regular and consistent. And whenever I had a new property development come out, I would send out the list. I'd have people just fill up my book and come into the office. And in the two-week period, I'd make six, seven sales, you know, at between three to five, six hundred thousand dollars each. You know, you do the math on that. It's a very good week, right? Good commission right there. And so the point of that was being strategic. Now, I wouldn't know many real estate agents that don't know that strategy. I can't say they'd all be executing what, and they're probably not executing well. But nowadays, that would not be revolutionary. That would not be new. So if your competitors are doing that, how do you separate yourself? What do you do differently? Do you see what I mean? So you still do it. Like I, I still use email, fantastic, do it. Web pages, opt-ins. Uh, lead magnets, do all of that. Have a course. It positions you and separates you. Give content out for free. This is just how you do business, okay? Like that's standard. But where's the opportunity for you? Where is it next? That's what you've got to think about. Where is that gap on the horizon that you can you can go in, boom, and open up? Often this can be called category creating, but that's extremely difficult. The timing of that's crazy. Like, like if Google was 10 years earlier, it wouldn't exist. You know, like the internet was been around the early 90s. The military had it in the early 80s. It wasn't ready. It was too early in the market. So some ideas are just not going to work. Like VR is great. Virtual reality. AR, augmented reality, fantastic. You know, the Pokemon Go thing. Augmented reality works. Like it's there. But is it consumable? Look, that 3D printer that I talked about, the reason it didn't catch on is not everybody was going to take a 3D printer on their desk. Not to mention the corporations probably didn't want you to do that because so many businesses would have to pivot. But if it gets mass adoption and everybody starts buying one, it's just like having a home printer. There was a point that didn't occur. Do you see the difference, right? So there's always these gaps, but you also have to be able to read the market, not to be not be too prolific, you'll be on your time. So like if you're in a space of educating and all you focus on is virtual reality, that's probably really awesome in certain spaces like medicine and gaming, obviously, maybe even um, different forms of learning through science, obviously. 
but does it get mainstream adoption? Probably in universities, but I maybe not at home. You probably can't teach yourself to be a doctor at home. Well, why not, right? Well, well you could possibly do that, right? You could use AR or, and then augmented reality with, with the combination of online learning and then, of course, streaming and live Zoom classes to learn. But you still need that face-to-face, -face, right? I still believe you always need that. But my point being is that how early would that be? So if you got money to build that idea, how long would you have to wait to see that actually get sticky and land and stay in a market and the market to go, that's normal. And then when it becomes normal, it's time to do it again. Find the gap, find the space and make it yours. So I encourage you, look forward to what you're doing. Find those gaps for yourself. And where I'm at today is it's just become norm part of a normal business model. Now I know within the spaces I operate in that now I'm, I'm in different industries, all right, that, 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 that aren't related, but they all relate to these strategies, streaming courses, marketing, advertising. That's the, the fundamentals of any business. But here's what I've noticed since COVID and since the pandemic, if everyone does it, which everybody's starting to do, you've got it probably two or three years before it's like so saturated that you even mentioning it. It's just like, of course you do. It's like, Oh God, not you too. Right? Like what? Look, that's the thing. There's there's the conversation that happens in front of you that you need to prick your ears up if you want to spot the opportunity. So when I was making videos online in 2010 and 11 on YouTube, and then in 2016, the first conversation started to happen for me about I saw your videos and they started coming to my business. You're talking five years of silence. Didn't spend any money on them. Five years of silence for people to do what? to get adoption to YouTube to make it normal. So the market started to get that. So the grandparents started to watch that market, which means everybody's watching it. If people are saying it to me now, it means there's adoption. It's like Bitcoin. The minute you hear people talking about Bitcoin in a cafe and you overhear it and it's like a normal conversation and then you go to work and someone says Bitcoin and then you go down to like the gas station and someone's you met, you hear it again and this is like happening in the same day or like the week, that's called mass adoption. If you haven't bought Bitcoin by this point, you're not going to get like the massive gains that you would have heard people get in crypto because it's now being used by everyone or being adopted. And so the best time to have bought Apple, yes, buy it now, but it's a $2,002 trillion market cap. The best time to have bought Apple was when it was at like a $100 million market cap. Do you see the difference, right? Because that would have been like a, I don't know, 10,000% increase or 1,000%. I don't know, my math is terrible, but it's a huge increase, right? So that is that is what I'm talking about with these, these opportunities. But to do that, you would have had to think ahead and and you don't you couldn't have had the social proof because when Apple was like nothing, the nerds, the crazy advocates for the brand were doing what? They were like, this is amazing, but they didn't want everyone to use it because it wouldn't feel special, right? Apple's like, we want everyone to be able to access computers and not have to know the tech stuff. And because of that, they did it, they cracked the code, everyone adopted it. And if everyone's using it, well, your opportunity shifts. So rather than, you know, going to maybe invest in Apple, which, you know, obviously you could have still done, and that's a good idea doing that anyway, depending on your strategy. And I'm not saying not to do it now anyway, because I don't give financial advice. 
But what would be a little smarter? Maybe trying to make something that sits on Apple like this. This is a podcast. So this is using Apple in a different medium to help my business rather than just trying to go, ah, I missed the boat. And then when Apple comes up with the next thing, like maybe Apple glasses, which, you know, they have, no one's cracked the code on this, by the way, yet. Google tried it. They just went, it's weird, right? If you haven't heard of this, this is using augmented reality through your uh, glasses. And so essentially, you, you can imagine a bit of your phone, but you're looking through the world and, and depending on what the app you're using is, we'll project things in an area. So a basic idea would be that you could use uh, Ikea's augmented reality, walk through your home, your glasses, you could look around and you could just have the furniture populating on the empty floor to see what it looks like. You know, there's heaps of uses for augmented reality. It's, uh, it's, it would be quite amazing in a lot of ways, but it's weird, right? Like, I don't know. I don't really want to sit in front of you with glasses on your head and know that you could be watching something and I don't know, you know? And so that's why I think these things don't catch on sometimes like the 3D printer. So you might get to a space though, where you find that so many people have bought these things that it's just normal. So, you know, the Apple AirPod as an example, is the same idea. They sold $23 billion worth or whatever. It's crazy how much they sell just of those little earphones, you know? So they know how to read the market and sort of be there, even if other people are doing it. now. My question for you, my point is not, is Apple good or bad? It's not even about Apple. It's just about understanding that these trends are there and they're happening and they're moving. Things are changing. When everybody's streaming, what is the thing you're going to look at next? When everyone has a course, what is the next thing you do? These areas are not saturated yet. I'm just saying they're becoming widely adopted, which gives you lots of opportunity to position yourself because your market may be empty and starving for you to do this. And you'll know it because you'll get a lot of attention. And if you're not getting attention, I suppose, relatively easily, your messaging could be sucking, something could be wrong with what you're saying, or it's not landing, that's fine. But you also may need to think about the strategy, like, okay, maybe this market on this space is empty, doesn't mean you're wrong, just find another area to occupy. And that's the space we play in as entrepreneurs. That is exactly the place we play in as entrepreneurs and content creators serving a market. And it's our job to find those little gaps, fill them, or create the gaps for ourselves. So I hope you had a lot of fun with this episode. Let me know your thoughts. Leave me an audio message. It's been awesome having you. And remember, find the gaps, create them yourself if you need to, and make them yours.